installment of the Ubered podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kale. I was a full-time Uber and Lyft driver in Minneapolis, St. Paul for four years, and during that time period, I gave more than 8,000 rides. I also wrote two books on the subject, Ubered, My Life as a Rideshare Driver, and the sequel, Ubered 2, both available in paperback and in Kindle and Amazon. Whenever I would pick up passengers, the conversation was usually the same thing over and over again. So what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you? How long have you been an Uber driver? What happens if we get into an accident? What's the furthest you've ever driven? Has anyone ever thrown up in here? That's just a few, but really it was a pool of about 20 or 30 different questions. Pretty much everybody asked them. But one of the biggest ones, one of the most consistent ones that I would get and that I would enjoy answering, it wouldn't really burn me out, was what's the difference between Uber and Lyft? So in this episode of the Ubered podcast, I'm going to attempt to explain my perceived differences between these two tech giants. So just to recap, I when I first got into doing Uber and Lyft in 2014, I started out, I was only doing Lyft. I was not doing Uber. And the reason for that was I had heard so much negative PR and press and so many stories were constantly breaking up about all these awful things that this company, Uber, was doing that I didn't want to be a part of something like that. And again, as I mentioned, I financed a used BMW, a 2008 528XI, and I jumped headfirst into rideshare doing this full time. But very quickly after I started, I realized that Lyft in my market, well, I guess in every market, uh, but particularly in my market, Lyft was the underdog. And Uber was the big one. Uber was like Walmart and Lyft was like, I mean, not even the mom and pa, but the smaller business, the not Walmart, was not where the majority of my rides were coming from. So three, four weeks into driving, my business was starting to look like it might be in trouble. It started to seem like this may not be sustainable. Well, lo and behold, I pick up a guy. He gets into my car. He's in downtown Minneapolis. He's going from one hotel to another, so only about a mile. And he works for Uber corporate. And I'm puzzled and I ask him, why, why are you taking a Lyft car? And he basically says, it's to recruit drivers like you. You have a nice car. We can take good care of you better than Lyft is doing so. You should really be driving for Uber. So he was kind of a voice of, I don't want to say a voice of reason, but he convinced me. He swayed me to add Uber to my ride sharing business. Now what I did, I didn't pick one or the other. I did both. And I would have my phone going with both apps going at the same time. And I kind of had a sort of a complicated system for which one took priority but to break it down generally i favored lyft just because of the tip option however most of the business as soon as i started doing uber it became apparent to me like i said that uber was the one to be working for they were where all the rides were coming from so most of my trips were done through uber after i started driving uber now i called my book ubered because very quickly into driving i realized not only is most of the business with uber but Uber is basically the Kleenex of this game. I would notice that I would have passengers in my backseat, and maybe they'd get a phone call, um, and they were talking to the person that they were going to, and they said, hey, I'm in the Uber on the way to you now. A lot of these customers, they knew the brand that they picked. They knew they picked a Lyft, but they always called it an Uber. So Ubering kind of became the verb synonymous with rideshare, and that's why I picked the name Ubered for my book. But anyway, right off the bat, I started to notice some stark differences between Uber and Lyft. So let's talk about the first time that I signed on because right then and there, there's a whole host of things that were immediately apparent to me. For one, Lyft vetted me a hell of a lot harder than Uber did. 
So when I got approved for Lyft, what I did, and I recanted this in the first episode, I had to meet up with a quote-unquote Lyft recruiter. This is an individual. He was not an employee. He was a contractor like me, and he was also a Lyft driver too. But he was paid by Lyft to recruit drivers, and he got a bonus. I think it was like $50 a head for every single person that he turned into a driver. Now what he did was he took me on an extensive road test. He tried to trick me actively checking my English skills, my proficiency on the road, making sure I'm not speeding, or pretty much anything else. He also checked the car out. He made sure that it was insured, all the paperwork was in order. And then after that, after he approved me, he said, now Lyft is going to do one final tier of inspection on you, mainly a background check. So you'll hear from them within two or three days. Okay, great. When I signed up for Uber, I filled out a form online. I didn't have to meet with anybody in person. And then just without even telling me, uh, maybe 24 hours later, not even, I opened up the app just to, you know, kind of take a look at it. I noticed that I could sign on, and this was when I was out driving, and I was driving for Lyft. So I signed on, and like within like three seconds, I got a ride. And, I mean, like I said, they dominated the business after that. So after that first ride, I couldn't even shut the damn thing off because just ride after ride after ride after ride coming through. But I noticed that it had been a very short amount of time. There's no way that they could have run a background check on me that fast, let alone get my car inspected, because that was another hurdle Uber emailed me and told me I had to do. But they let me on the road before the car got inspected. So in other words, Lyft took their time vetting me to make sure that I was everything that they needed to make sure the registration was in order. So minimizing the liability on their part. Uber, on the other hand, couldn't give a shit. They saw an opportunity to make money, which is me getting on the road, and they assumed that all would be fine and dandy with me, and so they just let me on the road. Now it's gotten a little bit harder. They are more on top of their game. Not by much. It's, um, well, I have to choose my words carefully here. Let's just say I know a friend, and this friend drives for rideshare, and this friend, instead of getting their vehicle inspected by a third party, they filled out the inspection form themselves, and they filled out the fictitious name of Jack Meoff, the mechanic who inspected the vehicle. And they submitted that. And Uber took that. Now, that wasn't me. It wasn't me. That was a friend. But that's not important. What is important is the point I'm trying to make here. And that's Uber just let this person on the road without really properly making sure that the paperwork and everything else was in order. And if that person would have been in an accident... The liability on Uber's side is staggering to consider. Just think about that. And again, I've said this before, what this seems indicative to me is Uber's corporate ethos, which is shoot first, ask questions later. I mean, it's really, it's how the whole thing came about. They rolled out this crazy revolutionary idea that was riddled with flaws and without really thinking about, okay, what about how do we, how do we protect drivers? What happens if they're in an accident? Who owns these cars? How do we deal with not being a cab? All that kind of stuff. They, they just thought, okay, you know what? I got a better idea. Let's just throw it, see if it flies, and if it does, we'll deal with the mess later. And I guess, well, hey, that sucker flew. Look at all the billions they've made. As for the mess, well, they've used the money that they've generated from that sucker flying, and they've bat off everything that represented a problem and could have possibly shut them down. It's like we can test, we can make sure that all of our bases are covered, or we can just say, fuck it. Just roll it out. Hopefully it works. And if it does, then we'll clean up the mess later. Fuck it. And to be fair, I mean, it's not like lifted anything more morally sensible. So this, and I'll talk a little bit more about this coming up here. 
But Lyft likes to masquerade as this moral, sensible alternative. They're the same fucking thing as Uber. They do the exact same thing to their drivers. They have the exact same flaws. It's the same broken system with being an independent contractor. They have made zero effort to try and make conditions better for their drivers. If anything, they made them slightly worse than Uber. So, you know, Lyft, basically the same thing. They just said, fuck it. We're going to roll it out. Maybe, maybe they went about it in a little more innocuous way. Maybe just a little bit. I mean, unlike Uber, Lyft stayed in the United States, and they didn't start this blitzkrieg of just spreading like a virus as fast as they could. So maybe just a tad better than the way Uber went about things, but like I said, same flaws, and they, too, put their system out without properly checking for holes. So shifting back, I'm driving now for both Uber and Lyft maybe a month and a half into my rideshare career. And I'm toggling on my phone between the two apps, bouncing back and forth. And if two come in at the same time, at the exact same time, because that would happen sometimes, I would take Lyft. Because Lyft, for a while, it had a slightly, slightly better payout. It was like just a matter of cents. But because that was slightly higher and because there was the option for passengers to tip, then that really spoke loudly to me. Because uh, one point I would like to make, if every single passenger had tipped me just $1, my business would have been more sustainable. Just $1 would have made a difference. That's not to say that I deserved a tip on every ride, because if you read about some of the shit that I do, I definitely did not deserve a tip. But just making the point, $1 from every single person would have helped subsidize this broken system for me a little bit better. But contrasting this with Uber, there was no tip, and I, I can't prove this. This is an unsubstantiated claim. I think Uber put out a misinformation campaign they told everyone that a tip was built in because everybody believed this falsehood that there's no need to tip the driver because a tip is included with the fare. That was not the case. In fact, quick story. I have this trip, trip 281. It's called No Tips Necessary. I pick up a woman and her son who's like 10 from, I think they're having lunch or something. They're in the back seat. We're enjoying ourselves and I'm cracking some jokes and the mom's laughing and the kid's chuckling and well, we go to pull up to their house, and they're about to get out. And the mom goes, Evan, you've been delightful. This has easily been the best Uber experience we've ever had. And she reaches into her purse, and she goes to hand me a $10 bill. But just shy of handing it to me, the kid reaches over and directs the mom's hand back into the purse and goes, no, mom, a tip's included with the fare. You don't have to tip these drivers. And the mom goes, oh, well, that's nice to know. Okay, well, have a good day. And they get out, and I'm thinking, I'm so pissed. I'm thinking to myself, oh, you little fucking bastard. I had to kidnap you and sell you to Jared Fogel. So as I say in the end of this story in the book, and to reiterate, this is service industry, what these drivers are doing. In service industry in America, you have to tip. It's part of the, just part of the culture and the way that it works. Do you, ask yourself, do you go to a restaurant and not tip your waiter? If you do... Don't eat out anymore, straight up. We don't want you because, well, I'm not going to I'm not gonna attempt to explain all that's wrong with the service industry and restaurants. Restaurant waiters literally survive on their tips. So if you're not tipping a waiter, just don't eat at restaurants. But generally, if somebody's doing a service for you in this country, in America, this is the way the service industry and tipping culture works. Japan does not have a tipping culture. Like I said, I majored in Japanese studies. They don't do it. But guess what? This ain't Japan. This is America. Tip your driver. Tip your service people. Tip your waiter. Tip the door guy. Tip the valet guy. Even if it's only a dollar, it makes an impact in these people's lives. But anyway, enough about tipping and the tipping culture. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So let's move on now to the apps themselves. We'll begin with price structure because that was, I mean, I guess that was kind of the first negative thing I had ever heard about Uber 
was people getting gouged for rides. Like, I'm talking several hundred dollars just to go a mile or two miles or something. I'm sure you've heard of this, too. Lyft does it as well. So Lyft has what's called primetime, and Uber has surge. It's the same thing. They're just different names. It's an inflated rate that you are paying because demand is supposedly higher. The truth that I came to find is a lot of times this demand is artificially created. I don't know how it works, how it's calculated, what causes it to spike sometimes, but for a while, Uber did surging in these five zones in the metro. There was northeast Minneapolis, there was downtown Minneapolis, there was like the uptown area, there was St. Paul, and then there was Midtown. And so each of these areas, each of these regions, it would be several miles across, and it would surge as an entire uh, territory. So if a concert got out, from someplace downtown, the entire downtown region would surge, even if uh, something's going on in the corner and it's like a mile away or like two miles away from where this concert's getting out. Because there's such a demand coming from just this one spot in the region, the whole region's price would go up. Versus on Lyft, they calculated it by the block. So one block could be surging, but the other block was not. And as you can imagine, that made predicting when the prices would go up really hard on Lyft. Because on Uber, you could look at an uh, event calendar. You could see when a concert is beginning, when it's ending. So you know when people are going to need a ride there, and you know when people are going to need a ride home. And you know that that entire area is going to be expensive. But with Lyft, like I said, because it was by the block, one block might be more expensive than the other. And you didn't get a, a spread of... Um, what the price was like you did on Uber. I mean, I guess it took Uber a couple months of me driving for them to instigate that because at first you had to toggle toggle the customer app with the driver app so you could see how much uh, the surge price was. But on Lyft, they never told you. You just you got a it's a shade of pink. So light pink was cheaper, dark pink was expensive, and while Uber did it by times amount so like 2x 4x 8x 7x like that kind of thing lifted percentages so 25 percent, which would be the same as uber which would be uber at uh like 1.3x or 100 percent, which would be uber at 2x so lyft gave you colors and percentages but lyft didn't tell you the rate that the passenger was paying and that went for like that probably went through like half of my four-year career that was the way that it was versus uber right away would tell drivers the rate the passenger was paying. And really, if you think about it, I don't understand why they would withhold that information because if I'm getting a call from like 20 miles away, if it's three times the rate, yeah, I'm going to do it. But if it's not, then there's no way in hell I would do that. I don't know. I'm not even going to attempt to think why they would do that. They do so many things that are stupid. I mean, I guess they both do. Let's not talk about the surge anymore. There's really, I could go on and on about this, but it does get overly complicated. And because I'm thinking the majority of you listeners are probably not rideshare drivers, it may not be that interesting to you. I would say if you do want to know more about the surge and just the nitty gritty details about it, read my books because I do go into quite a bit of detail about it there. But for now, let's drop the surge. Let's switch to the app design themselves. Because right away from my first glance, I noticed a stark difference between between the two just in their designs. So like I said, Lyft has been masquerading since I started, since probably since the company's inception, as being a cute, sensible, like, yeah, we bolster a sense of community and we care about our drivers. And like all of their emails on the email you, it concludes with like, 
Rock on, Lyft superstar. You go and give those rides. Versus Uber is just when they get in contact with you. It's very straightforward. And you'll notice the texts and callers that they use. It's very cold. Like, not not necessarily, like, callous. But it's a, it's Lyft is very warm and, like, fuzzy feeling. Like, it feels like something that you would use in text for, like, a nursery or something like that. Versus Uber's is, like, straight business. It's just, like, cold. It's, like, darker colors what they use. Um, it's the lettering that they use is not soft. Like Lyft uses like kind of like softer lettering and stuff. And Lyft has the pink mustache as their uh, mascot. Now they've kind of done away with that. They used to have these great big clip-on pink mustaches. Like I said, I threw mine in the trash can when I first got it. They did away with those because those were flying off of cars and causing accidents. And otherwise they were just flying off of cars and it was just like littering. So Lyft no longer has those. But what they do have now, they're called Amps. And there are these, they're the mustaches still, but they're in a maybe a 10 inch long, uh, like circular tube that lights up and you stick it in your dashboard. So, like, you can see a lift car coming from way the hell away because it's got the little electric glowing mustache now. Like I said, never liked it. I've never done the amp. I never even wanted one. Um, I just think they're obnoxious. And, like, I, also, like I said, it's kind of sketchy with the insurance. So, I never advertised that I was a driver, I wouldn't put my badges up. If somebody was looking for me and I was parked and I was waiting for someone, I would put them up then. But as soon as I got in the car, I pulled them down because the last thing that I wanted to do was use Uber Lyft's insurance. But I am digressing a little bit. So the apps themselves, I mean, the lettering and font and all that stuff is different. But if you look at the design, the design themselves is different. It's like Lyft like put a lot of time into developing like a really user-friendly app. Versus Ubers from day one, I could see how it was like programmed to give you PTSD. In fact, uh, let's break on that. I want to cite an interesting article I found. In April 2017, the New York Times ran a piece about how Uber, the app, was designed to psychologically push drivers' buttons. And this was something that I came to notice right away. So I mentioned that when a Lyft call would come through, the noise that the app made, I called it the chime of opportunity. And I call it the time of opportunity for two reasons. One, when I coined that term, Lyft was more expensive than Uber. Its passengers were better than Uber. It just it meant that I was probably going to have a better experience and probably make more money. But Uber's uh, tone when it was time for business, it wasn't a chime. It sounded like an alert on a Soviet submarine. That there's like an inbound torpedo or something. It was just, just like beep, beep, beep. It, it, it was so unpleasant that very, very shortly after I started driving for Uber, it started to cause me serious psychological and like mental discomfort. Like I would hear that. It would startle me numerous times. It would just, because I would have so many bad experiences with passengers on Uber, because like I said, at first Lyft was a better system for passengers than Uber was. I would associate these awful passengers and pair it with this noise. And just hearing this noise would start to rattle my brain and start to have some like adverse psychological effects. I'd start getting short with people because of it. Uh, it would give me nightmares legitimately sometimes. It would, when I would wake up, sometimes I would wake up thinking about that noise. Like just this noise was haunting. In 2016, some of y'all might remember this, an Uber driver in Kalamazoo, Michigan, went on a brutal shooting spree between rides. He was shooting various places up and, like, going and giving rides and, like, driving like a maniac with people and, like, acting super weird. And then going and, like, killing more people. And so they did arrest him. Uh, he didn't kill himself. They've processed, He's in jail or prison or whatever. But 
one thing that's extremely interesting about this, and I have not seen this reported on anywhere. To my knowledge, I'm the only person who caught this. He blamed in court Uber, the app. He said the app made him go crazy. Now, I'm not going to say that what he did in any sense, I mean, he did a monstrous, awful thing, and he deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life. But what he described, though, with the discomfort that the app was causing him, I could relate to that. I mean, I'm sure not, I wasn't planning on shooting anyone up or doing anything, anything crazy, but it was causing me psychological discomfort as well. And I could see how maybe a person who's more on the edge, having something like that entering your brain and fucking with you, maybe could cause you to snap. Maybe. What's indicative of this, not just me talking out of my ass, no shit. The very next day that he blames the app for making him go crazy, Uber redesigns it and changes the alert tone to something far more soothing. So that to me, that says or suggests some degree of wrongdoing. Somebody somebody knew goddamn well that that tone that they had created was going to have a latent effect on people. There's no way they designed that by accident. Now the question remains, why? Why would they want to create an app that's making their drivers uh, psychologically irritable? Well, I can only speculate, and I'll speculate three things for you. The first is that Travis Kalanick is such a piece of shit that it puts a smile on his face knowing that drivers have to go through the equivalent of a visit to the dentist every time they heard that it was time for business. Or maybe Uber is running some kind of a psychological weird-ass test on their drivers, and it's unknown to the public what it is or why it is they're doing it. Or the third guess, and this one I think is probably the most likely, or at least the most sensible, big companies will pay data miners to mine data about their company and show them things that maybe that they're missing. So my thought is maybe some of the data that they pay to have mined, it suggested that a psychologically hostile environment for drivers somehow is curbing conditions to the company's favor. Now, I, I'm so talking out of my ass, I'm only speculating here. But if you think about, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, rideshare driving is a lot like gambling because you don't know how much a customer is paying. You don't know where they're going. You don't know the details of the contract. You're basically, every time you get a ride request, you are making a wager using your car that you will make money. So gambling is one of the hardest behaviors to extinguish of the human condition. It deals with random schedule rewarding, meaning you don't, the human brain, when it is gambling, it doesn't know when it is going to be rewarded. It could be twice in a row. It could be once and then not again for a million intervals. It's unknown. So because gambling is so hard to extinguish, if you're adding something like this psychologically hostile condition into the mix, I mean, you're basically throwing gas on a bonfire in regards to a person's brain. But again, pure speculation. I don't have any actual data. I don't have any actual facts. I'm just guessing based on my own experience. But something tells me I'm not far off. Anyway, let's shift gears here. Let's talk about the dollars and cents now. So both Uber and Lyft, they offered the same split for drivers when I started. That was 80% going to me, the driver, and the company's taking 20%. Now that figure has since started to shift. I was told that I would be grandfathered in, and then the, uh, at least Uber basically said, just kidding. I believe Lyft still would keep me at 20%. I don't know, I haven't driven for Lyft in quite a while, but Uber... Uh, the last time that I drove for them, they had changed the split on me. And they had, I mean, they had thrown so many fucking random numbers into the split. Like, they increased the booking fee, which is a booking fee is Uber artificially inserting two extra dollars into the split 
so that it changes the split in their favor. So uh, instead of a passenger paying $6 for a minimum, they'll pay $8 for a minimum, but Uber doesn't count that $2 insertion that they created uh, toward the toward the cost of the split. So although the passenger is paying $8, Uber's only counting it at six, and they're taking a cut from that, even though they're pocketing another $2 along the way. A booking fee basically says, we've created a company, and boy, isn't it nice. Now give us two extra dollars. However, the booking fee, it's not very interesting. What is interesting is me getting stolen from, because, and this is one thing that Lyft has never done, and I will come to their defense. I've never caught Lyft stealing from me. Uber, on the other hand, is a different story, and I bet you have probably heard some uh, news stories about Uber stealing from the drivers because there was a big scandal. I believe in 2016, Uber was caught in New York City pocketing drivers' no-show fees. Well, guess what? They did that to me. So in February of 2015 or March of 2015, it was like maybe when I had given like my first thousand trips, I was still in my first car. Um, Uber was there was the no-show fee, which I've talked about. If you do not come out for your driver after five minutes. They are allowed to fine you $5. Uber takes 20% of that, just like they do rides. Lyft, on the other hand, lets you keep the whole thing. It's a it's $5. So on Uber, you got paid out four. On Lyft, you got paid out five. But I started to notice that Uber was pocketing my no-show fees, or at least there were there was one week where I wasn't getting any of them, even though I know I had done everything right, and I know I had fined these people. And I know, I know I'd find these people because in two instances, the people called me after I had canceled and driven off like maybe five minutes after I had left. And, you know, they were all pissed off. Like, why didn't you come pick me up? It's like, you had plenty of time. I have no sympathy here. But like I said, though, I knew that these people had gotten the fines because they had communicated with me. So why wasn't I getting them? So I contacted Uber. Um, there were three instances that I had documented where I should have gotten the fine and I wasn't. And I, you know, I want to know what's going on. Well, three separate people get back to me, and this is this is the thing with Uber is I frequently detected chaos behind the scenes because Uber never had a phone number to call, at least not until maybe about two years ago, so like halfway through my rideshare career. Then they got one, but at first, there was no phone number to call. You just had to email support at uber.com and hope to hell somebody got back to you soon. So oftentimes, and in this case, being one of them, Numerous people would get back to you about the same issue, and it was very clear that none of them had communicated at all. So in this case, three separate people got back to me about my no-shows being pocketed. One person was a dick. They told me that I was doing it wrong and that I should better understand the rules and regulations of being an Uber driver, and then they referred me to a company website where I could watch the stupid like two-minute tutorial video. The other person said, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. This is a mistake. We're going to give it back to you. That's a total of $12 that you're missing, plus another 10 a third person got back to me and said, we will look into it. And all these emails, they came at kind of about the same time. Well, two days later, I look at my Uber account, my pay stub, and I see that the company has allocated $500 to me. And, oh, and I, I didn't mention this. The person who said they were investigating it, I threatened to go drive for Lyft instead, even though I already was. Like, you know, they don't know that. And I'm just trying to rattle the cage because at this point I'm naive and I think that Uber actually cares just a little bit about me. And if I say certain things, maybe I'll be able to have some kind of an effect. Well, I guess in this case I did because, like I said, Uber paid me out $500, didn't bother clarifying, and I certainly didn't reach out to tell them that they might have made a mistake. But if you think about that, 
I mean, it suggests to me that their books, their accounting books, must, must be a mess because if somebody can just throw $500 at a driver, no clarification, no reaching out, no follow-up, nothing, it seems super sketchy to me. But my point being here, I never caught Lyft stealing from me, and I caught Uber stealing from me in this instance and in another instance. And by the way, when Uber was caught in New York City doing what I'm describing, there was a huge backlash. It was like national newsworthy. And like I said, I caught them doing it here in Minnesota too. And I even attempted to reach out to some local news organizations and let them know that it was going on here. Nobody seemed to bite, like nobody cared. But it happens here, it happens in New York City. It leads me to believe it's happening globally. But just like with the Uber psychological tactics and the app, I should probably choose my words carefully so I don't get sued for slander. Just know listeners, I can't prove this. I'm making an unsubstantiated claim, but that is this driver's opinion after four years of dealing with this company. Also, not the only instance where I caught Uber stealing from me. This ne next example, I don't know if I would quite call it stealing. It, it's In a way, it is stealing. Uh, so like I mentioned, Uber guaranteed to me and Lyft too that I would be grandfathered at the rate that I started driving. So that 80-20 split. Well, in February of 2016, it's a Saturday afternoon, and I'm driving, and I drive for about two hours, and I get home, and I'm about to go out for a run, and I look at my phone, and I'm thinking, like, okay, so I gave five rides, blah, 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 blah. I should be expecting to make about $40. Well, it was about $30, and I thought, well, that can't be right. Maybe one of these, maybe one of these trips hasn't loaded yet, or, like, I haven't gotten paid on it yet. No, they'd all been loaded, and so I ran the numbers, and I calculated that uh, the prices hadn't dropped because Uber would not advertise when the prices would drop. It would just, you sign on to the app and suddenly you're making less money. Lyft did give you a little warning. I mean, it's not like they asked for like an opinion or they said, you know, maybe it won't happen. Always the prices would drop, but at least Lyft gave you courtesy and warned you. I guess maybe they didn't the very first time that it happened, but they usually warned you. But like I said, Uber did not. Anyway, so... I thought, okay, so has Uber raised the prices, lowered the prices? No, that wasn't the case. What happened was Uber changed the split on me and waited to see if I would notice. And of course, you know, this had only happened one day and I had noticed. So I contacted them and then they said, oh, whoops, sorry, clerical error. Don't worry about that mulligan. Nothing to see here. Well, I bet they did that to a lot of drivers and I bet not all of them caught it. So you got to think there's millions of Uber drivers on the road. If they do this and... You know, even if 70% catch them, that's 30% of drivers that they've doctored the split, and now they're making millions more. You have to realize that just toying with that split versus all the trips that take place every day and all the drivers that are on the road, toying with the split by 5% can generate millions of dollars for the company. In this case, I did contact Uber, and I was pretty pissed. I actually attempted to use language similar to what I had used when I caught them stealing from me, hoping I could trick them into giving me another $500. Well, no, they, they didn't buy it, but they did uh, give me back the money that I said I had been shorted in this. And they didn't, uh, for a while anyway, they didn't mess with my split after that. But in my book, I actually call that, because I write about that as a story, and I call that the old Uber switcheroo. Because like I said, this kind of behavior became very typical of the company the longer I drove for them. So next, we're going to address communication between the companies and drivers. When I started driving for Lyft, one of the first things that the Lyft recruiter armed me with as we parted ways, and again what Lyft armed me with in their welcome email, was a phone number for me to call. 
Day or night, 24-7, Lyft offered a 1-800-emergency number for drivers to call. And support was waiting for anything a driver could need. Anything from small questions to, I just got into an accident, what do I do? To, a passenger has done something wildly inappropriate, um, I, I need you to do something. In fact, when I would rate a passenger one star, Lyft would immediately follow up with me and asked if ever, and would ask if everything was okay or if they needed to do something. In one instance, I had this really, and I actually never wrote about this trip, I had this one really creepy guy in my car, and uh, he made a lot of advances on me, and I, just, like, I did not like it. So when he got out of the car, I rated him one star, and I wrote, you should ban this guy from your system. He's really creepy, and he made me very uncomfortable. Lyft called me like 20 seconds later, and it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, and they wanted to make sure that everything was good. That, to me, shows... Look, it's not, Lyft is, like I said, they're not the better company. They do not make drivers protected employees. And that is the devil in the details here. That is the biggest flaw with being a rideshare driver is this broken system of being, you're not even a contractor, like I said. You're like more like a gambler. But at least there is that little tiny step that Lyft did just to smooth things over and make things just slightly more secure. Versus Uber, like I had mentioned earlier, only had an email support at uber.com so when my 535 got totaled when that other uber driver blew the red light and, and hit me i mean not only could i not get in contact with uber but uber was trying to assign me with a new rider as i'm sitting there trying to fill out a form like saying like hey i just got into an accident like this is a serious problem meanwhile the passengers who were in my car were asking what happens next and all i could say to them was support at uber.com and they're looking at me like are you fucking serious and it's like yeah <laughs> no you think, you think this is bad for you? Try being me. I'm the one whose car just got smashed. And also, like I had mentioned, it was complete chaos at the scenes behind Uber because even if you sent an email, maybe numerous people get back to you with different answers. So how could you possibly draw a sensible conclusion when there's three people telling you three completely different things? So just that phone number, that little tiny gesture of having a phone number, it made a huge difference to me in the eyes of who's, like, who cared just slightly more. So funny side story. Um, I have, I'm very good friends with the Star Tribune's gossip columnist, CJ. She's been, she's a friend of my parents, so I've known her my whole life. Well, she wrote a story about me when I was first publishing Ubered, and she's very into doing, like, video um, for her, for her journalism. So she brings a video camera in the car, and she's doing, like, a video piece for the, the article that she's writing about me. Well, I, I'm telling her this, and I call the Lyft emergency line, and I, you know, if this is an emergency, press one, and I press one. And the Lyft critical support person answers, and uh, they go, this is Lyft critical support. And I just go, oh, God, oh, God, there's so much blood. Oh, Jesus Christ, there's pieces everywhere. And then I hung up, and then I turned to CJ to go, I have always wanted to do that. And the guy called me back, <laughs> like, like two seconds later, he's like, hi, I'm with Lyft critical support. I go, oh, false alarm. Everyone's fine. It was only Kool-Aid. Anyway, Uber now does have a phone number. Eventually, there was just so much public outcry that they had to get one. And the reason why, and uh, speculations, I should just call this episode Evan Speculates because I'm not basing this on anything. Why wouldn't they have a phone number? Well, think about it. They're a company that only cares about money. It's been indicative since the way they rolled out, since the way they do business, since the way they undertake all these morally questionable shortcuts and, and uh, awful tactics that they've used, like say against Lyft with creating false accounts to tie up other drivers in the first episode, I mentioned Travis Kalanick legitimately floated the idea of an anti-PR campaign, just a blackmail journalist doing their job trying to dig up er dirt on Uber. So 
The fact that this company would cut corners and not have a phone number just to save a few dollars, it makes total sense to me. Can't prove it, talking out of my ass, but that's what I think the case is. But now, listeners, I'm going to reveal something to you that might come as a surprise given my rhetoric for the last 36 minutes. I actually hate Lyft a lot more than I hate Uber. And here's why. As shameless and awful as Uber is, Uber makes no attempt to hide this. In fact, in many cases, it seemed to me they were just outright flaunting it. Versus Lyft runs around masquerading, I've said this before, like the cute, sensible alternative, the morally conscientious one that takes care of their drivers and bolsters a sense of community. Lyft is to community what Donald Trump University is to alumni status. It is a fucking joke. Some of the shit that they do is designed solely to make people forget that they are a multi-billion dollar company that is making false promises to their drivers and tricking them into a trap that will often lead them into debt. So like, for example, one of the things that they do, they have driver meetups, or at least they do here in Minneapolis, and I've never been to one. But the drivers will, like all the Lyft drivers will get together and like have coffee and, and talk about their stories or talk about how awesome Lyft is and like, you know, Lyft encourages them to send a, a photo to Lyft corporate. You know, it's like that email probably just goes right into a delete box. Nobody even looks at it. Or like another thing they do, they have a, a newsletter. And I guess Uber has one now too. But Lyft was first to have like, was it, was it like the weekly lifter or some bullshit like that? I don't even remember what they called it. But they had this like newsletter because like, yeah, community. And so like when Lyft will email you, the way they address you, it's like a parent addressing a child almost. And it's like calling you like, yeah, Lyft superstar. Great job, Lyft driver. In fact, pause for a second here. Let's just talk about the emails because really that was the straw that broke the camel's back and really made me start hating Lyft. They color their emails or like the structure of these emails. It's fun text and like colorful fonts and warm colors. And if you get an email from Lyft, if you glance at it without reading it, you think whatever it is they're sending you is good news, but if you read the material itself, nine times out of ten, it was a rape of your business. It's like we're dropping prices or like we're increasing uh, the amount of rides that you have to do, the ratios going up, stuff like that. But they freeze it. It's like, yeah, Lyft superstar, we're dropping prices coming up, so that means it's going to be even busier out there and you're going to make more money. So get ready to hit the road, Lyft superstar. And it's like you read this shit and you – it makes you want to tear your hair out with frustration. And the thing that really gets me, at least here in this market, when I talk to a lot of drivers, when I take lifts, this shit works to like dupe them into thinking the lift cares about them. There are so many drivers that drink the lift Kool-Aid and they le legitimately believe that like lift is like a better company. And it's just because the, like, they're, I guess they're not smart enough to think for themselves or see what's actually going on here. Lyft is every bit as bad as Uber. And the fact that they make an attempt to pretend like they're not Versus Uber's just downright shamelessness in it. That was that was what made me start hating Lyft more than Uber. But what really did it for me, what really just... I, I even wrote about it because it made me so mad as its own story. It's called the jacket. The, uh, it's not even... A, I mean, I call it a trip, but it's not a trip because I'm not driving around. A lot of these, like I said, I call them trips because the book is broken up into... It's a book of short stories or Ubered and Uber too because there's two books. Books of short stories. So each short story is a trip. And in that trip is, you know, I titled the trip something. So, like, this trip is called The Jacket. And you're not always – I'm not always driving. You know, I'm sometimes sitting in my car. In this case, I'm in my apartment. So, Lyft sends me an email saying, thank you. It's uh, coming up on your 1,000th ride. You're about to give your 1,000th Lyft trip. And so, to say thank you, 
we're going to send you a lift jacket. It's a members-only jacket, so just fill out your size. We'll ship it to you cost-free, and then you can wear it and show all your lift passengers what a superstar you really are. Yeah, lift on. And I'm, I'm shit you not. They cap their emails off by saying lift on sometimes. So I look at this, and I sell a jacket. A jacket after a thousand rides. Your way of saying thanks to me is sending me a sweatshop jacket. Do you have any idea what I had to go through in those thousand rides? All the times that people said awful things to me, all the times I was sexually harassed, all the times I cleaned up puke or, or, or boogers or some other gross shit. Do you know what I had to go through in those thousand rides? And your thanks to me is a jacket? I'm running a business here. I, I can't even begin to estimate what I have spent in my car between maintenance and gas and depreciation and everything else. If you want to say thanks to me for a thousand rides, send me a $1,000 bonus. Don't send me some shitty piece of flair. So I actually, I emailed Lyft back and I said all of this. Of course, they didn't even bother responding and they did send me the jacket. And in truth, it was kind of a nice jacket and I would go on to wear it a lot. But I wore it less because I liked it. And it did look good on me, I'm not going to lie. I wore this jacket less because it, I liked it and because it was a good jacket. More because it was like, it was a reminder of how little Lyft cares of me and all the fucking shit that I had been through. It was like, uh, I joked, it was like my Nemean lion pelt. Uh, Hercules in his 12 labors. Very, very mild-mannered of me comparing myself to Hercules. But Hercules in his 12 labors... Uh, he has to fight this giant lion called the Nemean lion. And so he kills it, and he wears its skin, and he returns wearing its skin, and it's, he keeps wearing it, and it kind of becomes the cloak of his accomplishments. So I guess in a way that was kind of what I was thinking when I wore it. And I also just like the idea of comparing myself to Hercules. Totally modest. Totally modest. But, listeners, we've reached the end of the episode. I want to thank everyone for giving me your time and attention I have three books out. I would strongly encourage you to read them. Ubered, My Life as a Rideshare Driver, the sequel, Ubered 2, and my debut novel, Wolf in the Jungle. You know what? Which I'm going to briefly talk about right now because I mention it every episode, and y'all probably have no idea what the fuck Wolf in the Jungle is. So there is this hit squad of Jewish-American soldiers in the 1950s. They're called Nesher Unit. There's only six of them. They're ultra-top secret. There's a Jewish-American general who's their commander and, and oversees them. And basically, they have authorization to go where nobody else does. It's their job to track down escaped Nazis. And the reason for this is, in the 50s, it's deemed that all the runaway Nazis that got away from Nuremberg might pose a continued threat to American national security. Well, in the opening, they track down this one Nazi, and they put a bunch of bullets in him, and they find that he's trying to get himself to the jungles of Brazil. So what do they do? They airdrop into the jungle, and when they arrive, they find, well, there's not just one or two Nazis hiding out. There's a lot of them. And they have, well, I guess you'll just have to read the novel and find out for yourselves. I will just briefly say this. I wrote Ubered 1 and 2 because I wanted to show people all the ridiculous shit that was happening to me as an Uber and Lyft driver, and I wanted to educate them about this industry. I wrote Wolf in the Jungle to show people that I'm a serious writer, and so I would, it would really mean a lot to me if you gave this book your attention. You can read the first few chapters for free on Amazon, but enough about that. Listeners, you have been Ubered. 
I'm Evan Kale, signing off. Thank <laughs> you.